almost died last night. Death whispered in my ear, his cold breath against my neck. My heart felt like it might beat out of my chest. I thought I might vomit. I'm gonna die, I heard my voice say. It was a close call, really close, I tell you. I fell to my exercise mat in a puddle of sweat and shaking muscles. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I didn't almost die, but it sure felt like it. You've been there, haven't you? Worked out so hard you actually told yourself, I feel like I'm going to die. Silly how we just throw that phrase around. Think about it now. We say it when something tastes good. When you put a bite of food in your mouth that's so exquisite you say, Oh man, that tastes so good I think I might die. Or how about, Sheesh, it is so hot outside I'm going to die. But have you really almost died? For reals, almost died. I have. Yup, I had a near-death experience. Welcome back to Storystone. I'm sure you have figured out by now that this episode will be all about near-death experiences. Let's dive a little deep into life, brush aside some of the pleasantries, and get deep into what makes this human experience of life so amazing. Like I told you in the last episode, I have been exposed to a lot of death. I guess you could say Death and I are well acquainted. He brushes past me with a familiarity that doesn't make the hair on the back of my neck stand up anymore. I mean, when you first meet him, he leaves you breathless and scared. Sadness washes over you. You want to kick him out of the room. You fight him hard. You give him your best left hook, but then, after a while, you tend to get numb to his presence. There are times you win, but other times you lose, so you stop taking it so personal. You know he's coming before anyone else does. You can look at the patient you are taking care of and know that no matter what you do, they will meet death soon. Sounds dark and callous, doesn't it? That's why I work in the operating room now. Death rarely knocks on that door. The CRNAs are the angels that work their magic to keep death walking past the door. Looking over his shoulder, I will meet his eye. He will give me a sly wink, his mouth turned up in a smile at the corner, knowing he will get his chance eventually. Yes, eventually. We all get to meet death. With COVID-19, many of us had to come face-to-face with the possibility that we might meet death sooner rather than later. So that's what got me thinking about near-death experiences. I have asked many, many people for near-death experiences. Most people will say that they thought back on the experience and were thankful they didn't die, but there was no actual thought in the moment of that scary experience where the thought actually crossed their mind of, I am going to die. I even asked my dentist. He's a charismatic fellow, and I was sure he had a good one for me. But no, no luck. But one wonderful soul who has offered many a story for Storystone, but all the stories involve breaking HIPAA, you know, those healthcare privacy laws. But now it's your time, Steve. Remember the CRNA Steve that I quoted at the end of my Sunny Pock episode? Well, he's got some doozies of some near-death experiences. But first... Let me share mine with you so that you get the premise of where I'm going with this episode. Hang on tight. Ready? Let's go! Go back in time with me when I was in nursing school. It was in the spring. I had just a month left and I would be graduating. I needed to blow off some steam. The program I went through didn't allow for a summer break, so after two and a half years of intense learning without more than a week off at a time, I was tired. 
Nursing school was when I started grinding my teeth and walking in my sleep. Yeah, I'd wake up bumping into a chair in the living room in the middle of the night. I still do it. Or wake to my jaw rocking on itself and my canines flattening. How flat can they get? (laughs) A lot of information and knowledge is crammed into a short amount of time. The knowledge that my patients could die as a result of my lack of knowledge added to the stress. So when my friend Anna invited me to go swimming with her and her husband in the Umpqua River, I jumped at the chance. Anna said she had this perfect place to go. We could jump into the water from a high rock cliff, then swim down river to a nice beach and lay in the sun. Perfect. Sounded perfect. But I should have known better. Actually, I did know better. I had been educated by my father my entire life about the dangers of the river in the spring. I read the local paper, the news review, religiously and knew how many people drown every year in the spring. The river would swell with the mountain snow melt off and rains. Undertoes were prevalent. A favorite summer swimming hole would turn into a death trap. It was an easy mistake to make, though. After a long, drizzle-filled damp that seeps into your bones winter, the warm sunshine and the rush of the beautiful water calls you. So off we went. We parked our car and hiked up river to the rock cliff to jump. By the time we got to the cliff, we were hot and sweaty. The water looked so inviting. We all jumped at the same time, smiles on our faces and whoops of excitement from our lips. But that excitement was gone as soon as we hit the water. As soon as my body went down into the river, I was pulled even further down by an undertow. The river was running high and fast, thus creating pockets of currents that swirled down to the river bottom. As the summer heats up and the rains taper off, the water level lowers and the river runs slower. So the undertow areas are gone, creating a safe swimming hole. So there I was, getting sucked downward in the river. That's when I thought I was going to die. The thought of I'm going to die actually went through my head. As soon as I jumped into that water and felt myself being pulled down fast, I realized I was caught in an undertow. And then I had time to think. At least a minute and a half, since I can hold my breath that long. A lot of thinking can get done in a minute and a half, especially when time slows down. Time really slowed down. We think of time as this linear thing that is unchanging, but it's really not. Yes, if we measure it with a stopwatch, then it seems like it is. But isn't life about the perception of things? We all perceive a situation differently, don't we? What may be exciting and thrilling to one person may be scary and horrible to another. Time works the same way. A minute and a half of being underwater holding your breath and not knowing if you would make it to the surface alive is a much, much longer minute and a half than the minute and a half of listening to Storystone, where time just flies by. So, back to me underwater. There I was in that swirling, rushing water thinking of what I was going to do. My first instinct was to fight it, to thrash and push my way to the surface, but I remembered my dad would tell me with great urgency that if you get sucked down in an undertow, you let the current take you. Remember, the main current of the river is going in one direction, so eventually the idea is that you will flow with the river water out of the downward flow of the undertow. So against all my instincts, I did what my dad told me. I let the undertow take me. Down and down I went. I have no idea how deep the water was, but I'm sure it was a good distance because even during the driest month of summer, the water was deep enough to dive into from the cliff without fear of hitting the bottom. On my way down, as time slowed to a near stop, I did a lot of thinking. 
My first thought was, I'm gonna die. The next thoughts involved a long story in my head of my death. This is how it went. (laughs) I imagined that the story of my drowning was in the news review. Remember the local paper. Yes, I have this crazy, vivid imagination, even apparently on my deathbed. So in my imagination, I'm reading this article about my death by drowning. In the article, my dad was being interviewed by the reporter. He was quoted to say, I told her never to go swimming in the river in the spring. She knew better. There is always someone drowning in the river in the spring because of those undertoes. I remember thinking to myself how ashamed I was and upset that my dad was right. Why didn't I listen to him and take his advice? Now, you might be saying, Bethany, you really didn't think all of that, (laughs) but I really did. And then do you know what else I thought about? How could these be my last thoughts before I die? I thought I was supposed to have my life flash before my eyes, but instead I'm laying in the swirling water thinking of my dad chastising me even after my death. (laughs) Yeah, I really thought all this. See, time really is elastic and can stretch like a rubber band. It was in this moment I decided I couldn't bear to have my poor, broken-hearted dad interviewed by the news review. Was I through the undertow? I gave some powerful scissor kicks with my legs and went flying to the surface. Now, here's my claim to fame in the athletic department. I may not be a runner or a high jumper. I may not be able to hit a golf ball or catch a baseball, but what I can do is swim. I can't ski or wakeboard, but dang it, I can swim. I grew up swimming in the lake, in the river, and taking swimming lessons until I was 15 every summer. Then all during nursing school, every night, I went to my local YMCA and swam for 30 minutes straight. I would jump into that cold pool and swim the crawl stroke down and back in the half an Olympic length pool in one minute. So every night at 8 p.m., I would swim 30 laps in 30 minutes. I could have swam longer, but I always had homework and sleep on my mind. That all paid off because as immediately as my head breached the surface and I took a deep breath of air, I felt the tug of another undertow. I continued with my giant scissor kicks remaining on the surface until I could make it to the shore. I flopped myself onto the sun-soaked rocky sandy beach, laid onto my back looking up at the beautiful blue sky and said out loud, I didn't die. Then I sat up and watched in horror as Anna and her husband came up sputtering and screaming, then getting sucked back down again and again. Maybe it was just too pretty of a day for a death. Maybe the river decided to be nice and release its hold on Anna and her husband. Whatever the case was, death turned his back on us and walked away. Anna and her husband made it to the shore. They laid there coughing and gasping. We almost died. I thought we were going to die were the phrases thrown out so many times. Gone was our glee. Gone was the afternoon of basking in the sun and enjoying the lovely water. Even though we made it out of that river alive, our happiness was gone. We were like three deflated balloons laying on that rocky beach. Our balloons, once filled with joy and excitement, now popped by coming face to face with our own mortality. We didn't even wait to dry off in the sun. We took our shivering selves back to the car and drove home in silence. I never returned to that spot, even though I'm sure I would have enjoyed it later that summer. So, what does this story tell us? You know I always love to pull a good moral into it, to get you thinking about what really matters in this life we live. I really want you to think about time. I 
know I keep mentioning it, but it's only because I find it so intriguing. We are given this time on earth for what? What is the reason you are here? Right where you are in this very moment, why are you here? I want you to let that question percolate like a bubbling coffee pot. Think on it for a bit while I tell you Steve DePass's story, or stories for that matter. Steve DePass is like a cat. A cat because he has nine lives and always lands on his feet when tossed into the air, landing on his feet and walking away from death like it was no biggie. It all started when Steve was just seven years old, living in Buffalo, New York. He was too big for his britches. Instead of playing with the other seven-year-old boys, he was always trying to hang out with the older boys. One day, he was following some of the older boys as they raced down the street. It was a busy afternoon full of cars coming and going, buses making their frequent stops, no one paying attention to the boys running down the street. The older ones took a quick dash across the busy intersection with hardly a glance at the oncoming traffic. Stevie was not about to let those older boys get ahead of him, so out he went into the busy street, running pell-mell straight into the traffic, when BAM! He was hit by a car. He distinctly remembers the feeling of his body flying through the air, watching with fascination as he went flying by cars that were parked on the side of the street. When he hit the pavement, his shoes went flying off his feet. Yeah, he hit the pavement so hard both shoes came off his feet. I mean, how does that even happen? How fast does one have to go to get the shoes knocked off your feet? He laid there stunned for a bit. Then the first thoughts that ran through his mind was, Oh no, I don't want my mom to find out. (laughs) Funny how, as children, we think of our parents, of the wrath and disappointment they might show, not realizing they will greet you with a wave of relief. Stevie picked himself up off the street with only a few scratches and bruises, tears and holes in his clothes from skidding across the pavement, but otherwise unscathed. This is amazing since it really doesn't take much to seriously injure a child with a car. Steve's mom was retrieved by a friend and soon was upon the scene with yes, relief, not anger, hugging her sweet little Stevie with fear still in her heart. Stevie, you must never, never do that again. Never run out in the street like that. You are lucky you aren't hurt. So off he trotted, holding her hand and heading back home, promising to never do that again. But Stevie was one of those wild little boys that wanted to get the most out of every minute of the day. He threw caution to the wind because really, where did caution ever get him? (laughs) Then, just one week later, BAM! A car hit him, doing the same exact thing as the week before, chasing the older boys across the street. There he was, flying through the air, thinking, Here I go again! This time, his shoes stayed on his feet. He must have laced them on tighter that day. (laughs) Crazy, right? To get hit by a car two times in a week, only to walk away unscathed. I know you are wondering if he did it a third time, but no, he learned his lesson. Remember this very valuable lesson, kids. Always look both ways before crossing the street. (laughs) Steve said he believes everyone has a guardian angel. He sure has kept his guardian angel busy. There are some people that are very reserved in life. Take time to sit back and ponder things before jumping in. Reserved and methodical. Then there are those that explore the limits of the world. Nice way to put it, isn't it? That's how Steve put it to me, and I like that. 
not breaking the rules, not misbehaving, but exploring the limits of the world. Exploring the limits of the world. As a young man in his early 20s, Steve explored those limits. He compares that time of his life to the Amish Rumspringa, a time in his young life when he explored the boundaries and pushed the limits, living just like his seven-year-old self did, living a life in which caution was thrown to the wind. The next near-death experience was during his college years. The year was 1973 and the place West Palm Beach, Florida. A college party was in full swing when, lo and behold, they ran out of beer. No, that can't happen. Heaven forbid. Steve offered to help go get more beer. His friend Jed had a motorcycle and volunteered to take Steve. Steve and Jed put their helmets on. Do you think that maybe his guardian angel whispered in his ear? Put that dang helmet on, you crazy man. Please, put it on. And off they sped on Jed's bike to the Wind Dixie. Now, we must keep in mind that alcohol had already been consumed, so Jed was not making the best decisions while driving. We must also remember that Steve is such an upright, religious family man. I was shocked that this was his story. Funny how life and maturity changes a soul as we age. So anyway, there they are, flying down Belvedere Road, past the airport, and past the Winn-Dixie. Yeah, Jed went right past the Winn-Dixie, completely missing the turn. Steve looked to the right and saw the Winn-Dixie go by. He hollered, Hey, Jed! The words were cut short when ahead of him he saw some big caution signs up ahead where the road ended suddenly. There was construction on the train tracks ahead. The road had been blocked and a large hole had been dug on the other side of the caution signs. A hole over six feet deep and all that dirt had been piled in a large mound at the point where the road ended at the caution signs. Jed must have looked over his shoulder to the Winn-Dixie because he didn't even put the brakes on. Didn't have time. He looked back from the Winn-Dixie. The motorcycle went between two caution signs and hit head-on in the big pile of dirt. And then it happened again. Suddenly, Steve found himself flying in the air just like when he was seven years old. Time slowed a little and he thought to himself, So this is what it must feel like to be like a circus performer and be shot from a cannon. You know Newton's first law of motion that goes something like this? An object in motion stays in motion with the same speed and the same direction unless acted upon by an unbalanced force. Steve went flying from the bike up and over that pile of dirt like a shot from a cannon. Imagine him, with his helmet on, arms by his side, watching the ground fly past. He would have kept flying if it hadn't been for the edge of the hole. The unbalanced force for Newton's law was the edge of the asphalt at the edge of the hole. The front of Steve's helmet took the full force of that edge of the hole. Wham! Teeth rattled in his head, stars in his vision, his body slid to the bottom of the deep hole. It took a few minutes of lying there to finally take stock of his body parts, realizing just like when he was seven, he was pretty much unscathed by this accident. Laying in the dirt, he turned his head and looked over at Jed. Jed was lying there at an odd angle, kind of like a limp rag doll. Oh my, is he dead? Steve grunted as he sat up, and then he nudged Jed with the toe of his boot, hoping against all hope that Jed was alive. Jed mumbled, Hey, man, are you alive? Steve chuckled. Yeah, man, I thought you were dead. 
Jed slowly sat up and coughed, and then he started laughing. Man, we could have died. You know what we should do? We should mark this occasion so we never forget it. Then they climbed out of the hole and walked to the Winn-Dixie to get the beer they came for. Can you imagine what the checker at the Winn-Dixie thought as she scanned the cases of beer, all the while looking at those two young men covered head to toe in dirt and scratches, dented helmets and all? They took the beer back to the motorcycle that was amazingly unharmed as well. But instead of going straight back to the party, they each took a beer, climbed back into the hole, and drank one together, clinking it in a toast for the fact that they lived to tell the tale. Maybe Steve's angel was standing on the edge of that hole, looking a little battered herself, tapping her toes, smirking at the irony of those young men living their reckless lives. But she has a smirk, not a frown, because at least he's getting it. Getting the point of life. He's getting the fact that life is precious and must be savored. Her toe tapped the edge of the hole with a little impatience, thinking about all the time she will continue to have to save him while she waits for him to learn about being a little less reckless and a little more responsible. So, one more Steve DePass near-death experience to go. Crazy thing is, there are several more. <laughs> Told you he has nine lives like a cat, but we're going to run out of time, so I will try to make this good one quick. Don't worry, I have the rest saved on my StoryStone file for future episodes. This last one is again during Steve's young and restless years. Before he met his lovely Ina, before he settled down into married life and fatherhood, there is a Dollar General that used to be a dance club called the Rainbow Club. Now here's a little sweet tidbit about Steve. He loves to dance, and boy can he dance. I grew up without dancing, so I feel really awkward on the dance floor. One time in the recovery room, we somehow got onto the topic of dancing, and I said, I don't dance. I don't know how. Steve piped up and said, yes, you do. All women know how to dance. You just have to have the right lead. Then he proceeded to dance with me across the recovery room floor, ending the dance by spinning me. Yeah, people, he spun me, and I didn't step on his toes or fumble along. It was amazing. The look of shock on my face made him laugh and say, See, you knew how to dance. Then off he went to his next patient. Wowzers. So, Steve was at this rainbow club to dance. Not to drink or to get rowdy, but to dance. He took a break halfway through the evening to go to the bathroom. Or, as he liked to say in my interview, to take a leak. So, there he was in the tiny little bathroom, no lock, two stalls, no stall doors, and one sink. He finished his business and turned around to come face to face with a scene that made him stop in his tracks. There was a short stocky man, and when I say short, only about 5'5", five five, named John Wayne Williams with his back to Steve. John Wayne Williams had a large buck-folding hunting knife to the throat of a big stocky man. That large man was standing on his tippy toes with his back against the wall, trying to keep his neck from being sliced open by the blade against his throat. His baby face was as red as his tight curls on his head. He was sputtering and trying not to come down from the tippy toes. He glanced over John Wayne Williams' head and looked directly at Steve, who was at this time gaping at the scene with his mouth wide open in shock. Time slowed down now almost to a slow-motion scene in an action movie. John Wayne Williams caught that look and turned around, swinging that wicked-looking knife in an arch towards Steve. 
Now Steve had been taking karate classes at the local dojo, so he instinctively swung his arm up in a block with his fist tight in a ball. His forearm caught the forearm of John Wayne Williams and stopped the direction of the blade that now was pointed at Steve's neck. Steve had backed up against the other wall of that tiny bathroom and was slowly sliding against the wall towards the door. John Wayne Williams yelled, You want a piece of this? Steve shook his head frantically back and forth. No, man, I'm just here to dance. And right at that moment, the door to the bathroom opened and in walked the local sheriff. Steve hustled out that door lickety split. Later that evening, he was sitting at a table with his friends and John Wayne Williams and his brother Michael Williams walked up. Now there was this cocky little John Wayne telling Steve, Hey man, you're a pretty cool dude. You want to go out to the woods and party with us and some girls? As he was talking, Steve looked down to see John Wayne Williams gripping the buck hunting knife in his hand. Steve politely declined, saying he was here with his friends. His guardian angel could be seen shoving the Williams brother out the door, sighing as she went. (laughs) Why did his angel save him that day? Steve said he had too much to give. He spent over 30 years in the medical field working as a paramedic, nurse, and CRNA, saving many lives and helping so many more get through some of the worst days of their lives. So this brings me back to my questions I asked of you earlier. Why are you here? What is your purpose in this life? Halfway through writing this episode, I was faced with the death of my grandma Mary. Yeah. My Grandma Mary from the Bubblegum episode passed away last Saturday. Crazy how I was writing an episode about death, and then I sat there with him and watched my grandma die. It was a very peaceful time. There was no pain. We had lovely music playing. We got to say how much we loved her and how thankful we were for her in our lives. We told her goodbye and that we would see her again someday. Then we all cried together as she took her last breath. The tears were for the loss of the funny, energetic grandma we once knew. The grandma full of smiles and exuberance for her family. Now, death wasn't unwanted in that room last Saturday. He was actually welcomed into it. Sometimes it's okay, isn't it? Okay because he takes away the suffering that can come before. Death makes us stop and think. Or he should make us stop and think about those questions I asked you. You may not even be able to answer them. That's okay. Why are you here? Why have you been given this time on earth? It's really okay if you don't know the answer. Instead, let's come at this from a different angle. Since you don't know the why, let me ask you this. What are you going to do with the time you have been given? Let that question sink in over the next few days. Ask yourself daily, what am I going to do with this time I have been given? But here's a key ingredient. Don't look at the future saying to yourself, someday I will do extraordinary things. Time is here right now. Sometimes it's going fast and sometimes slow depending on what you're doing. It's liquid and bending. Enjoy the time you have right now. Make the most of it. Savor the good time. Take a different outlook on the bad times by using them to learn and to grow. Be grateful for this time you have been given because this human experience is truly amazing. Thank you. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Storystone. It was long in coming. 
life events and the difficulty of the subject matter has made it a slow write. Storystone is here for your entertainment, to feed your imagination, and to soothe your soul. If you have a story you would like to share or a particular subject you'd like me to spin from, please let me know. Go to my website, www.storystone.org. Send me a message and let's collaborate. I love a springboard from which to jump from. While you are there, join my lovely group of listener supporters. Until next time, enjoy every moment.